This day is what it's all about for us. Uh, this, for me, is, as a pastor, the greatest day that there is. Like, this is the Super Bowl for pastors. This is the finals. This is, the, this is what it's all about. This is the day that all week we are frantically and nervously working for, but then all of that goes away because this is the day where we get to stand up in front of so many people and maybe because of the circumstances being what they are, maybe more people than we ever have before. And tell them about what makes this day so great. What makes this day the best day ever. What makes this, this God that we worship so, so good. Uh, this is the day where I wake up and I text a bunch of friends, Christ is risen, and I get a bunch of texts back, he is risen indeed. This is the day where I go out and I call my pastor friends and text them and say, hey, how is Easter? And, and I get so encouraged and pumped up when they say, it was great, it was awesome, I love this day, it's exhausting, but for all the right reasons, because I'm convinced that this is the single, this is the best day ever. But I'm wondering if you share those same sentiments. I wonder if you share the, the same enthusiasm that I do. Like, like maybe you're excited. You've got a little bit of excitement in your heart. You know, maybe the kids are excited today. Hey, it's Easter, and they know there's an Easter egg hunt coming later today. Maybe in your house, maybe in the lawn outside, and they're going to find all those eggs with the candy inside. Maybe that's kind of exciting. Maybe there's a, a certain Easter breakfast that you're eating right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Or maybe there's a brunch that you've got coming up just to kind of make it different and make this day special, you know, just, just something cool to, to celebrate in the morning. But maybe besides that and a day off from work, you don't really have that much to be excited about this day, at least not quite sharing the same enthusiasm I do when you know that that excitement is good, but it's going to wear off potentially as fast as the sugar high the kids are going to be getting later today, right? And maybe you don't share my enthusiasm because maybe you're bummed. You know, maybe you're bummed out because you don't get to celebrate Easter the way you have for so many years in halls, in pews, in chairs, in a place like this where you get to fill the airwaves and get to listen to, to everyone's voice, sing, sing your favorite Easter songs, Easter hymns, like the songs that, that we've been putting out so far for Easter. And you're bummed also because you don't get to see the joy on the smiling faces of your friends and your family sitting next to you and in close you know, fellowship with you because... We can't be in that closeness with one another right now. And, and maybe, that, maybe that in and of itself is enough for you to say, man, I'm just, it's different. and It's not exciting. And maybe when you think about all the stuff that was going on in your life, even before the world collectively just pushed pause on life as we know it, maybe, maybe you'd have to say, you know, I hear what you're saying, Pastor, but maybe Jesus is not the biggest thing that you've got going on in your life right now. So, it begs the question, is Easter really the best day ever? I mean, when you think of uh, what you've got going on, the, the things, the projects, the plans that you're going to put so much more time and effort and passion into, is it really the best thing? Is it really right to say that Easter is the best thing ever? 
Or, or maybe when you think of all the days and the moments that you've had in your past, that every day you said, this is the best day ever. Uh, the day when that boy finally asked you out, it's the best day ever. Or the day when she finally said, I do. The day you graduated, the day you landed that dream job, the, the day you welcomed that child into this world. You know, all those days where you think, oh, those, those were so good, and you compare it to this day, and you say, okay, it's a, it's a cool holiday, but the best day? I don't, I don't know about that. Or, or maybe you just say, you know, you know what the best day is, Pastor? <laughs> you know, the best day is going to be when all of this mess is over. That's going to be the best day. The best day is when we can go back to our lives, go back to some sort of normal, and go back to seeing one another and doing life, whatever that's going to look like. When this is over, that's going to be the best day ever. But, but Pastor, Easter... Isn't that a little cliche? Is Easter really the best day ever? Well, I know that phrase often gets overused. I know it's a, it's a phrase that we use to exaggerate things like, this is the best day ever. I know we do that all the time. But it's my goal today to say that wherever you are and whoever you are, whether you're a skeptic who has some doubts about this day, but your curiosities led you here to eh, just discover a little bit more. Or whether you're a Christian who's kind of feeling stuck and bummed and sort of stagnant with this day and says, you know, I know the story, but is it really worth all the hype year after year after year? That whoever you are, wherever you are, it's my goal to show you that, that I am not just making some sort of exaggeration to grab your attention. I'm not using some sort of cliche that's overly used, but instead I'm showing you that it's sincerely, genuinely, truly this day is the best day ever. And and I want to win you over to that. Because I want to show you that this day, Easter, was not just some event that happened some two millennia ago, but that it still happens and affects your life today and tomorrow and the rest of your life all the way up to death and then even after death. Because I think if you could see that a day was able to affect your past and your present and your future, even your eternal future, then maybe you'd have to say, eh, maybe that really would be the best day ever. And in order for us to to do that and really to explore the the meaning of Easter and the resurrection, I think we have to actually just pause and talk about that crazy thing, the resurrection. An idea, a a thing that sounds so crazy today, maybe maybe even crazier than the Easter bunny. Because if you think of all the, the billions of people who've populated planet Earth, how many of them have you heard of who have risen back from the dead? You know, I understand in our technologically advanced modern society that this idea of a resurrection, of a man coming back to life, is enough to make, you know, your average person just kind of quietly roll the eyes, if not the real ones, the eyes of their heart, and say, sounds like something people back 2,000 years ago would have believed in, right? Except that the facts don't actually line up with that. 
Because if we go back, if we go back to that time, let's take a look at some of the brightest people around, the Greeks. They weren't just religious in many ways, and they weren't just scientific, but they were also philosophical. You know, they had it all covered. The brightest thinkers of their day, and one of the big thoughts going around is that this body is like this empty shell. You know, it, it's, it's dying, it's decaying all the time, it's wasting away, it's breaking down, and there's, there's a soul inside of us that, that needs to break free. It needs to escape. And so if you would have said, well, this idea of a resurrection, a bodily resurrection, they would have said, that's, that's crazy. Like, like, we're trying to escape the body. Why, why would we want to go back to it? No, that, that's nonsense. And if you think, okay, well, maybe it's something that the early Jews thought of. Well, they would have said, yes, there is a resurrection, but that resurrection is going to take place at the end of all things. But if you were to tell them, no, 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 uh, you know, your Messiah, your, your central religious figure, the, the Savior King is going to come and die and be raised back to life, they would have said, that's not just ridiculous, it's downright offensive. And in fact, if you read the Scriptures, you see this central figure, Jesus himself, say on multiple times with clear and simple language, I am going to die and be raised back to life on the third day. And so, when you read the scriptures, when you read the Easter account, you would expect then, you would expect that his followers would be right there, waiting at his tomb for a resurrection. But instead, take a look at verse 1 with me and notice what you see. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. It's the third day, and did you notice what they are bringing to the tomb? Not excitement and anticipation to see a, a stone rolled away and an empty tomb and someone risen. No, instead they're bringing spices. Not the kitchen variety kind. These are the kind that culturally were used back then to, to anoint, to give a, a proper burial to a dead body. They weren't expecting a resurrection, but instead they carried with those spices a, a, a weight of sadness all the way with them because what they expected to see, somehow after they figured they'd move somehow that, that stone away, they expected to see a dead, rotting, and stinking corpse that they were going to anoint and give a proper burial to. That's what they were expecting. And, and do you know what else you don't see here at the tomb? 11 disciples, 11 of Jesus' followers. You know, you would think if, if, if you're going to make up a story with a guy who says, I'm going to die and rise again, then you would at least think then that his closest followers, right, the 11 closest people next to him, that at least one of them would think, hey, wait a second, it's the third day. Maybe we should go take a look. Maybe we should go see. But you don't see that. And you know why? Nobody expected a resurrection. They're locked up behind locked doors, Matthew's account tells us, because they're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid of everything that happened. They're so filled with anxiety and fear and uncertainty. Their entire world is upside down. No one is expecting a resurrection. And the only way to make sense of all these 
events, the only way to make sense of all these emotions, all these feelings, the fear and the bewilderment and the confusion, is if it actually happened this way. A real resurrection that nobody expected. And if you're joining us today and and you're skeptical, and you've got some doubts, but you want to probe a little bit deeper, go ahead to reach out to one of us here at Trinity. We'd love to help you. I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee and listen to your doubts, to your questions, and share with you what I know about Jesus and Easter, the resurrection. But that being said, I know there's so many of you here today who, who aren't skeptical. You're given a hearty amen, Pastor. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with you. And I know these words and I believe these words, but maybe for you, it's just that you have a hard time really getting excited about Easter. Like truly excited, not about the fanfare, but about the reality of the message. And if that's you today, then it's probably because you've forgotten one of two things. That you are not as good as you think you are, and God is infinitely greater than you ever thought. So let's take a look at that first one. You're not quite as good as you think you are. So it's very natural for us in this world to constantly compare ourselves and for lack of a better term, our morality uh, against someone else. You know, we look at someone else, we see what they've done or haven't done, and we say, okay, am I better or worse than them, you know? And it's easy to go around based on what someone else does and says, well, at least I'm not like her. And you know, at least I'm not like him. And that mass murderer on, on the TV screen, well, at least I'm not that person. And that historical figure that was terrible that is known for all those atrocities, well, I'm better than that person. And, and not only do we just compare and elevate ourselves or lower ourselves, we start to say, well, well, okay, if they've done that, if they haven't done that, and I've done these things, well, then I must be pretty good. You know, I guess I'm, I'm really not half bad after all. And, and you know, if, they, if there's someone who needs saving, it's those people, am I right? And if that's true, then can I invite you to a test? Would you allow me to film all parts of your life for an extended period of time? Everywhere you go, everything you say, everything you do, would you allow me to film that and then just make like kind of a, a, a five, ten minute presentation to put up on our screens here, a highlight reel of your worst moments? Would you like what you'd see? You know, the, the time where you could not control your anger and your rage and you flew off the handle. And you took your frustration and your emotions out on your friends, on your kids, on your spouse. Of the times when you couldn't control your tongue and you just blurted out everything without any sort of filter, without any sort of love. It was just pure hatred, pure bitterness, pure anger against someone. Of the things that you said and thought and did about that person when they weren't looking, when you thought nobody was looking. The things that you did at college. The things you did with him, with her. That one secret that, that you're pretty sure nobody else knows about, if we put all of that up 
and we could keep going. How long would it be before you start to realize, maybe I'm not as good as I thought? How long would it be until you start to squirm and and you just want to run away? Like, get out of here, go through the doors, and, and just bury your head in the sand and not see another person because you feel so ashamed and guilty. You see, maybe there's a certain snapshot in your life that you're thinking of, but, but the truth is God doesn't just see a snapshot. He sees the whole film real. He's got it all. He knows every thought, every word, every deed. And for a holy and perfect God who created you to be holy and perfect, what he has to do is he has to call every imperfect and unholy act and thought and word to account. And he has to judge it. And he has to punish it. And it turns out, maybe you're not quite as good as you and I thought. And then again, maybe there's some of you who knew that. You need no reminders of how terrible you are. You're very much aware of the fooling around and the abortion and the drugs, and the things that you did and said during the addiction, and that divorce and the darkest periods of your time, you you need nobody to remind you of that. You feel, you know, if I were to walk into a a building like this, I'd start smelling smoke. And if that's where you're at, then I need to remind you, or maybe you have never heard before, that God is infinitely greater than you ever thought. And if you want, I, I can prove it to you from this Easter account. Because look, look specifically at the message that this angel who's sitting in the tomb gives, this message from Jesus to the angel to give eventually to the disciples. Look, look at what this message says. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, you know what's so great about that message? It's that Jesus didn't say, go and tell those sorry excuses for disciples, those cowards, that I am going ahead to see them and they had better kiss the ground and beg for mercy and I might have it on them. Because that would be fair. Because you remember what these close followers, these people who said they are Jesus' followers, do you remember what they did? They they abandoned him. In his greatest time of need, they all ran away and said, it's every man for themselves. And yet instead, what Jesus says is, no, no. Go and tell them, I'm going to see them, and I'm going to include them. In my movement, I, I know what they've done. But guess what? We've got so much bigger plans. I mean, he's, he's filled with so much grace, right? You see that? He's filled with so much love. He says, no, 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 that, that's been paid for. I took care of that. But if you're saying, yeah, Pastor, I hear you, but you don't know. You, you don't know what I've done. Like, if you knew the things I said, if you knew the things I did, You know there's no hope for me. 
And for a second then, let's just assume you are the worst sinner in the world. And if that's the case, look again one more time at verse 7 at this message and pay very a close, close attention to two words. He said, but go tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter. You know why he calls out Peter by name? Because Peter royally screwed up. You know, Peter, a couple nights before this, had a big mouth. And he boasted proudly before Jesus and in front of everybody else, no way. I'm not going to abandon you, Jesus. I'm not going to fall away from you, Jesus. I will lay down my life. I will die if I have to, Jesus. But I will never deny you. I will never walk away from you. But then just a few hours later from there, when push came to shove, apparently all it was needed was the nudge of a grade school girl who just simply questioned him in front of a bunch of people, hey, wait a second, aren't you a follower of that guy over there who's on trial for his life? Aren't you one of his followers? And with all eyes on Peter, when the pressure and the heat was on, he denied knowing his Savior, not once, not twice, but three times while Jesus saw the whole thing. I imagine Peter felt like he was the worst sinner in the world. And Jesus knew this. And so Jesus singles him out by name and says, go tell my disciples, I've got plans for them. I've got big plans for them. Even Peter. Especially Peter. That's what Easter does for us. Easter shows us that all your sins, all my sins, Peter's sins, have been totally and completely forgiven because of the resurrection, because of the empty tomb. Okay, maybe, maybe it would help if you think about it like this. If someone is put on trial, found guilty, and convicted of their crimes, and incarcerated in jail for, let's say, five years, we say that is the debt they owe to society, the time they spend in prison. But on the day that that sentence is up and they walk out of those jail cells, they walk out of those bars and they are free, we say their debt to society has been paid. Well, the way it works for you and me is that our sin, the debt that we owed God, was death, was being forsaken by God, abandoned by him, it was hell. But instead of you paying that debt, Jesus, a few days before this, mounted the cross and said, no, I'm going to step in your place. I'm going to pay the debt that you owe. I'm going to suffer it for you. And he died. But he didn't stay dead. But instead, three days later, on this Easter day, he came out of that tomb. He is alive. He is risen. And that's God's way of saying, your debt has been paid in full. It's like God's stamp of approval across all human history, across your life, paid in full. Your sins are completely forgiven. Easter means that your, your status before God goes from hostile enemy to dearly loved and redeemed. And so I guess maybe the, the big question then is, what do we do with that news, right? It's so good, but, 
But what does it mean for us now? How, how does it affect? How does it transform? How does it change our life on a, on a day-to-day basis? And as I was thinking about that this week, I'll be honest with you, I had a, I had a struggle. Not because it was hard for me to answer that question, but because it was too easy. <laughs> because there are so many things that I could say about it. I could say, what, what this means is that it's the answer to all of the pain and all of the suffering that you have going on in life. That if you have a God who suffered, shared in your suffering, suffered more than you ever will, knows what suffering is, and, and rose to give you, give you eternity, you've got, not, you've got an eternal existence without pain, without hardship to look forward to. I, I could talk about how, how Easter is the answer to your FOMO, your, your fear of missing out. Oh, I didn't do this. i got to cram everything and every experience into this life. And what if I miss out? What if I miss the resurrection tells you you won't miss out on a thing. I could talk about how Easter is the answer to your contentment and to your happiness because you have God. Nothing else in this world can fill up the God-sized hole in your heart. But Easter says, guess what? You have a Father who loves you, who approves of you, who sacrificed everything to have you, and you don't need a thing more. But I guess, you know, considering the circumstances that we're in, considering everything that's going on, maybe, maybe it'd be the easiest thing to say that Easter is simply put the key to exactly how you face your problems. It's the key to how you face all the fears, all the anxieties, and all the uncertainties in your life. You know, you, you think especially about a time like this. You know, there were there were fears, there were uncertainties when this year began, but then all of a sudden this whole COVID-19 pandemic, everybody stay indoors, don't go outside, social isolation, it all hit. And, and then the anxiety and the fears and the uncertainties, we don't, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know if it's going to end, when's it going to end, when things are going to change. There's so much uncertainty, and yet Easter. Right? Easter says, it's okay. It's the answer to all of your uncertainties. Easter says you can have hope. You can have peace no matter what's going on, right? Who knows when this is going to end? But Easter says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because Christ rose and so you have everything. You have an eternal future that is secure. Your soul is secure in God's hands. You've got nothing to fear. You have nothing to worry about. You don't need to live in your fears. You don't need to live in your anxieties. And, and I don't know if, if it's going to get worse before it gets better. But Easter tells me it, it doesn't matter. That, that I don't need to, to freak out about what I might lose because I have everything because of Easter. And, and you know, I, I don't know. When is this going to be over? And when can we get back to a new normal? And you know what Easter tells me? It doesn't matter. You know, things could get a whole lot worse tomorrow. This could come back in a year. In 10 years, there could be something even worse than this, and it wouldn't matter. Whatever the new normal is, Easter says, what have you got to lose? And you have everything to gain. You have everything to look forward to. You have everything with Easter. That means go ahead and take everything away from me. Go ahead and take my house. Go ahead and take my relationships. Go ahead and take my money, my possessions. Take it all. Take my life. 
It doesn't matter. Because I have Easter. Because Christ has risen. And He has given me in this day, on this day, a God who says, I love you, you are forgiven, and just as Christ rose, you too will rise to be with me. That's what Easter has given me. And if I have God, then I have everything that my heart needs. It wasn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. But it's something that totally reshapes and transforms the way I live today. And that's why it's the best day ever. Friends, Christ has risen. And that was my moment for you to say he has risen indeed at home. Christ has risen, right? He has risen indeed. But don't just make that a cliche. Don't, don't just make that phrase that we just say on Easter or the days after. But make that a way of life. So, so you know what this day means? It means there's no reason, there's no room for being bummed out and sad and moping around because we can't get together. Christ is risen. And you know, whatever the coronavirus, whatever other hardships it brings, Christ has risen. And whatever other uncertainties and fears are going to come, Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Don't just say it. Own it, believe it, and live it. Not just today, but no matter what comes, live in the reality of the resurrection every day after. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is no day like this, no day that comes close to this. And it's my prayer that, that we don't just see this day as a, as a day that we put on the calendar as a holiday to celebrate, to take some time off, but then go back to normal. No, I pray this is our normal. That we live in the, we live in the truths of the resurrection every day. That this is what it means to be a Christian. That this, having the hope, having the peace to face whatever comes, that this is normal. That our circumstances don't dictate how we feel or how we carry about ourselves, but instead you, the, the truth of the empty tomb, the risen Savior that we get to look forward to as well, that that gets to dictate our hope and our peace and our confidence and our joy. So take away our fears, take away our anxieties, take away our mopey attitudes and put them all on you and give us instead joy. Not just today, but this week and the week after and the years after until we come to you and live in that joy forever. Let us live in this truth. Christ is risen. And we too, having that truth, knowing that truth, believing in that truth, don't just have everything now, but we'll see you face to face and have everything then. Give us this spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.